Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Conspiranormal Podcast proudly presents... The Strange Realities Conference. Strange Realities. Come join us for one day of presentations on the paranormal with live music at night featuring Tim Banal. The Rise and Fall of the Flat Earth Theory. Joshua Kutchin. Alien Hybrid Lore. Joe Damari. Pushing the limits of reality. Guy Malone. Roswell 1947. What really happened? Timothy Renner. Pennsylvania Wildman. And added to the lineup, Mark Anthony Wyatt. Cornish Legends and UFO Sightings. Zach Hunt. A presentation of his book on Rapture. Followed by a live recording of the Conspiranormal Podcast. More speakers and music acts to be announced. October 19, 2019, SIR National. Tickets and info at www.strangerealitiesconference.com. $40 at the door, $30 pre-sale. This is Conspiranormal, where the nexus of conspiracy theory and the paranormal meet. And now, we join the show already in progress with your hosts, Adam and Seraphiel. We are back on Conspiranormal. Yeah. And uh, we know we promised everybody sex magic, but that uh, that didn't happen tonight. <laughs> well, that's, that's you know, sex magic and sex. That's the way it sort of works out, right? Yeah, that <laughs> I is. I promised you that. It didn't always happen. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do tonight, guys, on this episode is we are going to 
talk to some of the guests that we're going to have individually at the Strange Realities Conference 2019 here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 19th. Hey. And first of all, we have the very mysterious Joshua Cutchin. Welcome, Josh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how mysterious, but yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome back, by the way, to the show. It's been oh, it's been a little bit. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it, this is one of those shows where you know it's like this and Radio Mysterioso, and when Tim was still doing his podcast regularly, you know, I'll I'll try, I'll try to make time for 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 folks like y'all. So, yeah. well, it goes. You know, I've been trying to make time for that, but with the twins, it's been a little bit dicey from time to time. So. Yeah, it's and it's, been, uh, uh, I understand. It's been navigating all that. Yeah, it's been it's been an experience. Um, I'm for you, I'm sure. Um, doing all these things, like music and being a being a father, and then being the expert in the paranormal field as well. And you're still working on the book, I assume, or, or rather, it's books now, right? With you for you and Tim. I have a lot of balls in the air right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's trying to navigate, you know, uh, we're coming up on Oktoberfest season, which is actually, mm-hmm. I guess it's September now, so we're in the middle of Oktoberfest season, so trying to navigate that, you know, I always talk about Oktoberfest season and Mardi Gras season being the two seasons where the tuba player is most most active. <laughs> so right, right. doing that and, and continuing to, do, what, between doing that and uh, and working on um, uh, the, the new book with Tim, new books, as you said, with yeah. Tim, it's been sort of a, a constant uh, stream of my hair being on fire. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm very pleased to say that uh, Tim and I both are really committed to getting this, this first volume out um, before the end of the year, and there's some stuff in there that just continually uh, blows my hair off. I feel kind of bad because we've been talking about this book for a while, mm-hmm. or these books for a while, and it's still out there, but... Uh, I think that it's going to be worth the wait, and it's part of the reason that it's not out there right now is because we keep on getting more and more information, more and more leads, to really talk about how uh, there's a lot more strangeness around Bigfoot than a lot of people who are in the flesh and blood camp want to allude to. Yeah. Which is what your your joint presentation is going to be around this book. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a joint presentation on uh, where the footprints end. Um I'm specifically going to be talking about my sort of uh, Vildness Geist theory, which is going to be a chapter in the book as well, um, about how a lot of Bigfoot activity mimics not only specifically ghost phenomena, but also, in particular, poltergeist phenomena, and how a lot of the things that you associate with poltergeist phenomena, those things have been adopted by the Bigfoot community. Stuff like tapping on windows, rapping on walls, tapping on roofs, running along roofs, um, strange smells, strange places. It, 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 it seems as though there might be multiple things at play, which is, you know, sort of in line with my MO of, of the way that these things tend to unfold. And uh, Tim's Tim's portion, and I don't want to speak, you know, I don't want to speak for him necessarily, but uh, if it's anything like the other presentations that we've done together, uh, because this will be our third, second joint, no, third, this will be our third joint presentation. Um, Tim will be talking about some of these uh, women in white associations with Bigfoot, which I thought were not a thing. I remember <laughs> the first time Tim mentioned it, and I was like, that's not a thing. You're not going to find anything on it. And it's just been a very rewarding line of inquiry for him. And I've I've done a complete 180 on, you know, I, I can admit when I'm wrong. And Tim has found something that no one is talking about. 
no one is talking about. Um, and I'm really excited to share that with everybody. Well, that's an aspect of the Bigfoot phenomenon that I had absolutely no clue about. Oh, yeah. I mean, like when you brought it to me, I was just, I, like I said, I, just, I thought it was just sort of a, a minor correlation. But when you dig into folklore, you start to see these things continuously unfold. And that's sort of what I hope this particular project will sort of unveil how Bigfoot is as much tied into folklore as, you know, the ghost stuff, as the UFO stuff, you know, because a lot of people tend to take those things from folklore and look back retrospectively and say, oh, they were describing ghosts, they were describing UFOs, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, a lot of this seems to be, from what Tim and I have garnered, archetypally based. And that's, again, that's not, you know, ruling out the idea that there might be a flesh and blood primate running around out there, but there's a lot of weirdness that people just are not talking about, or, in, honestly, in my opinion, deliberately suppressing about what's going on with Bigfoot and uh, and also just hearing hominids worldwide. And the Ape Canyon stuff, I mean, uh, when you guys have talked about that in the past, uh, that has been extremely interesting because that's one of the, like, the that's almost like for Bigfoot stuff that's like the um the Roswell or the Kenneth Arnold sighting equivalent for UFOs. I mean that's like kind of like a starting point. And f- with case? that whole thing, touch- it's it's got a lot of weirdness involved in it. It's one of those touchstone cases that people who are interested in Bigfoot will talk about a lot, but and this is not none of the none of what Tim and I are going to talk about is in regards to Abe Kane and stuff is necessarily secret. It's just it gets, gets willfully omitted from a lot of the people who are pushing this idea that there is an undiscovered primate in North America. They're not talking about all the strange stuff that surrounds the witnesses in that case. And if, if I think that if anyone has followed this long enough will know from a lot of different witnesses, but in particular UFO witnesses, these things tend to follow people more than as much or more than they follow areas. And uh, the Ape Canyon stuff I know you've talked uh, with you on your on your show about that. It tends to reinforce that notion that uh, the people involved are as important as the area or even the phenomena itself. So something about these things tend to um, glom onto people as much as they glom onto an area. Yeah, I think there's probably a mixture going on there between the people and yeah, the no, area, too. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that, that's one, of the, one of my big things about... Um, I mean, honestly, not only the paranormal, but life in general, politics, religion, mm-hmm. etc., is that you you only really start to begin to even try to understand it when you look at it from you know a ten thousand foot view and start to sort of see how these things overlap and and start to really do comparativism. Um, I think that that comparative comparative paranormal studies are where the entire sort of field of of paranormal studies should be going. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, Tim and I have something to say about that. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I've written. So this will be my fourth book, um, and this is, you know, fourth, fourth book. I've had two essays in different collections regarding Bigfoot and uh, UFOs, but honestly, and, and this is not me just sort of hyping it. I feel like this one is capital I important more than any of my other stuff is. Mm-hmm. I have that, that real sense, and I feel like the the tenor of the dialogue has become more receptive in the past, honestly, two years. 
eight months, it's, 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 it's really ramping up to people being more accepting of this idea that Bigfoot might be weirder than just a giant monkey. I, I think it's really going to change the game. I think it's going to change the paradigm for a lot of people. I hope. The thing is, is that you guys have already gotten a lot of flack, and you even before you had released, you've released a single word. You guys already got a lot of flack about this, um, the the book that you're writing. There were people already well, criticizing it. Yeah, I mean, there there are some members of the old guard who were who before we had even you know. <laughs> before even our chapters had been completed because they're just now sort of starting to round the corner on that, has started some pushback on, you know, sources, which some of those were, it's like anything else. Some of those are going to be really well-founded criticisms, and some of those are going to be people who are pushing back against something that they've already made of their mind to be quote-unquote true. Um, but, Big you know, I, 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 I am, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> What's well, Sergio was saying? Bigfoot beef. There's all kinds yeah, of there's all kinds of UFO beefs out there now, but we need some Bigfoot beef. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I guess so. I mean, like, and maybe it's because like I, I feel I have the sense after you know my books, I'm more associated with the UFO field than I am with the Bigfoot field. But I've had an equal interest. Yeah. And for me, ever since the inception of you know this sort of weird fourteen Renaissance that I've been involved with. Um, I've had a sense that these things are, are connected. And, and uh, But at the same time, you know, I feel like in the UFO community, I have my name, my name, my name has some sort of cachet, which is sort of a really pretentious thing to say. But I, I hope you'll take my meaning in the fact that, like, cryptozoologists don't know who I am. They just don't. <laughs> so I have less of a dog in the fight than somebody like Tim does, who has written a lot of stuff about, about cryptids and whatnot. Um, and Tim has gotten a lot more flack than I have. Um, there have been there have been instances where I'm trying to phrase this so I'm not telling stories outside of school, but there have been instances where people have been asked about their association with Tim because they don't want quote unquote that sort of woo stuff creeping into their research. And it's just I mean, the truth is the truth. <laughs> if the truth is crazy, if the truth involves, you know, a lot of this new this new research that's emerging about Psy, yeah. Great. If if the truth seems to be very method bolt, flesh and blood, that's great. But um, it's really about it's just holding a sort of a flashlight up to a lot of the stuff that people are not willing to talk about or that, again, I would contend has deliberately suppressed, yeah. But then when people try to throw out all the weirdness, that's the problem, is that whenever they want to look at it from that point of view of the, you know, in the ufology, the nuts and bolts, and now I guess with Bigfoot, Sasquatchery, we got to say flesh and blood, right? <laughs> Because whenever people are trying to just pu to push that that paradigm, they have to throw out all the weird stuff and just ignore it and say like, well, that's that's there's nothing to it. And I think that like you guys are really kind of in in this tradition now of like guys like Stan Gordon and Jerome Clark. You know, I mean, like mm -hmm. Jerome Clark, I, I heard you, you know, the, the the books, the influential 14 books that you guys were talking about on Where Did the Road Go not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Jerome Clark. And I can tell you, like, th the same thing. I still have that book and the cover is gone, Josh, you know, because I just wore that thing out. Yeah, and, it's, a, it's an identical experience to mine. Like in middle school, I remember lending it out someone and just, it was just like in tatters. The cover was in tatters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just you just tear through that book, and I don't think I've ever I've read like 
I never read the whole thing all the way through, but just like the individual articles or whatever. But you know, the, even then at that point, as like when I was like 15, you know, I knew that there was weirdness involved with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's one of those things where the, the cryptozoological community has been burned um, by a lot of, quite frankly, kooks out there, just like ufology. You know, there's been a lot of people who, are, who produce these unsubstantiated claims about going out in the forest and they meet Bigfoot who steps through a time portal and tells them to, to be a good steward of the earth. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a fresh... Quantum Bigfoot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, now the Quantum Bigfoot book is actually, there's some good stuff in there. Um, yeah, I was checking, is that um, Ron Moorhead? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I, I was actually was, checking that out the last time I was at um, the Expedition Bigfoot, which I want to go into that a little bit too, but finish well, your thought. And you, you can't be involved in, you know, cryptozoology and not think that Ron has done some fantastic work, but the links that, that a lot of people who are wanting to sort of incorporate the stranger aspects will go to to sort of explain the fact, well, it's flesh and blood, but they do, they use quantum technology. It's just, for me and for someone like me and Tim, it's a lot more parsimonious to speak in terms of folklore and archetypes and, quite frankly, magic, which, right. I mean, if, if, if someone doesn't think that they're living in the midst of a, a magical renaissance in terms of... Uh, in terms of the, the West, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I've, I've been driving through rural North Carolina, and I've stumbled mm-hmm. upon a very robust magic store that has, that was like on a Wednesday, <laughs> and it was just completely packed with people, um, you know, doubling down on these things and listening to these things. And, you know, and a lot of it's bunk. I'm not saying it's not, but some of it's very, very legitimate. And I think, you know, the work of people like, once you frame that within the, within the, uh, realm of psi phenomena, long lives of folks like Dean Radin, I think a lot of it becomes more palatable, and I think it's the way that we can start looking at this. Uh, all these things, honestly, uh, UFOs, Bigfoot, and even ghosts, honestly. Let's talk a little bit about when we were at Paramania and when you did that presentation at the Expedition Bigfoot in Blue Ridge, Georgia. Um. We kind of had a nice little surprise there from the owner. Because we thought something was going to go one way, but it went totally the opposite way. Right. So I was in charge of Paramania 2019, and I was sort of soft-pedaling how weird a lot of our presentations would get. Um, because we had, you know, Ren Collier talking about magic, and we had, uh, you know, Greg Bishop talking about uh, some of the new revelations uh, about UFOs, the, the work of uh, Dinah Washpasolka, and mm-hmm. the, the 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 frighteningly the frighteningly smart David Metcalf talking about <laughs> the work of uh, of Jeff Crapple. Yep. None mm-hmm. of that seems on the face of it to be really compatible with a lot of the Bigfoot lore out there, but it seemed very apparent um, that the um, owners of the museum uh, were not dismissive of uh, that particular line of thought to the extent that um, I believe that they're actually going to be opening a sort of a museum of the weird in that sort of Blue Ridge, Georgia area uh, to talk about uh, a lot of other anomalies and how we really are not being taught what uh, a lot of these ancient traditions have instructed us about. 
and this doesn't say that you know all interpretations of 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 the world and reality are real, but the fact that we have gone so far in the direction of scientism that we've ignored some of this other stuff at our peril, and I, I feel like that's sort of where the tide culturally is is going in a lot of ways. I mean, I one of my favorite phrases that I've employed is that uh, for centuries we waited, rightfully so, rightfully so, for science for a religion to catch up to science, and now I feel like we're on the other end of it where we were waiting for science to catch up to spirituality. Um, it, I think neither of those is, uh, is, is functional completely without the other, and there are some things in this world that are just not expl- explicable by the current scientific method, and once you open your mind to that, then a lot of other things sort of start to blossom and, and reveal themselves uh, in different ways. I think you're hitting it on the head. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping it kind of vague because I'm not sure how much of that was that particular you know conversation was kept in confidence or not. But uh, I have a feeling like again, it's, it's, it tracks with the sort of the sort of current uh, theme in, in cryptozoology and specifically Bigfootery that uh, we need to start looking at other things that at one point we would have rejected because we're trying to be quote unquote scientific. And yeah. in the meantime, we all. Li- yeah, and in, in the meantime, we all live in glass houses. Like, it's not like you're going to get anybody involved in the hardcore scientific or, you know, physics realms uh, to come on board with our stuff. And in the, in the meantime, you know, they're playing in our swimming pool versus vice versa. So it's, 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 it's kind of refreshing, actually. I feel like we're sort of in, a, in a, uh, an unexplained or, you know, to be a bit more specific a sort of a 14 renaissance about the way that people think about and accept these things well can i can i go in a little bit to what the owner has said to us after like he kind of addressed us all is that uh, yeah, yeah 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 you can I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna sort of play it a little bit close to my vest because i have a working relationship with him so yeah <laughs> so well, 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 well i mean he basically i mean he basically praised us which was i think just the opposite of what we thought was going to happen or he praised you guys he praised you guys yeah, I will say that I think we all expected him to come up and be like, you know, you need to get your heads on straight, stop talking about all this crazy stuff. And that was not at yeah. all the yeah. conversation that the conversations and um, and uh, discussions that followed. Not at all. He he went he he went into also just some of the sightings that had been seen over there, and just over and over, and just how things seemed very strange and very weird. And it didn't seem to be like there was. There, he's just saying that there's more to this than really meets the eye. I mean, that was basically what he said. I mean, without going into any right. real detail. But he, well, and the fascinating thing. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I mean, I'm stepping all over you. Sorry. Well, about I was. That. Yeah, it's, I was. I was just going to say that you know I talked to, to Timothy Renner about this, and you know we we talked about the exhibition Bigfoot, and I told him you know they're seeing stuff there, and Tim's reaction was, well, they build a temple to Bigfoot. Yeah. And that was, um, Tim, Tim referenced that, I want to give credit where credit is due. I shared that with Tim because that was something that David Metcalf shared with me, which is the idea that mm-hmm. they basically created, essentially, you know, like you said, a temple to Bigfoot. I mean, you've got right. the equivalent of relics. You've got, you know, hair samples and scat samples. and Bigfoot poo, you've got large Bigfoot poo. Yeah, you've got a place where disciples come to congregate, to talk, to praise Bigfoot, essentially. And um, I have to wonder, I would love statistics, and that's, that's the one thing that's always eluded a lot of these paranormal fields is statistics because it's been hard to keep these things because they've been, you know, sort of 
taboo. But I would love to see if if there's been an increase in sightings post Bigfoot <laughs> expedition Bigfoot being established in the part of Georgia. Yeah. Um, because I, I kind of wonder if if the phenomena is not following the the veneration of it. If that makes any sense, right? Um, so the idea, you know, so the idea, like you know, Mount Shasta, you know, some people see some UFOs in Mount Shasta, and they go, "It's a UFO hotspot." You get a bunch of UFO junkies there, and they start seeing more UFOs because they are attracting it with their, with their sort of intention, with their uh, desire, sort of an American gods model, um, hmm. if you will. If anybody's familiar with the Neil Gaiman uh, 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 book and, uh, and TV series as well, the idea that whatever these things are, they are drawn to those who this is going to sound this is a strong word but those who venerate them. right yeah. mm-hmm. and I, I think I, I, I suspect that I suspect that might be the case but far be it for me to, to suggest this and of course you know this discussion is sort of anathema to anybody who's talking about you know there being a large undiscovered hairy hominid running through the woods because chimps don't run to chimpanzee refugee centers or whatever <laughs> along those lines right now in the current as I see it in the current paranormal field, the popular culture paranormal field, Bigfoot TV. TV, yep, Bigfoot is the most popular. It's way more popular now than ghosts. It's way more popular than UFOs. How exactly this happened, I don't know, but it, it, it almost feels like Bigfoot now has become the folk monster of the entire country, not just a specific area. Yeah. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, like, on a four-hour, because I'm... I'm I'm in Pigeon Forge right now. So on the four-hour drive from, up from Atlanta, I saw probably but somewhere in the in the in the realm of ten stickers. And then up here, it's a little bit more pernicious. But ten stickers or bumper stickers or like Bigfoot sort of paraphernalia Bigfoot things. And it's become something that people are a lot more open to. Yeah, there's like all these well, camps. There's all the we saw a camp on, on yeah, the way. Yeah, it's, up a, it's here a zip line in Mont Eagle. Yeah, there's all these camps. There's all these Bigfoot themed uh, little you know rural parks and stuff now too. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is uh, you know in Mont Eagle there was a sighting that uh, John King mentioned, um, and I believe it was it's been republished as strange creatures from other realms or something along those lines. You know, it's sort of hard to keep track of the original publications of what John Keel's done because they've been republished so many times. But there was a very, very prominent, at least one very prominent sighting around Mount Mount Eagle um, uh, of Bigfoot, too. So I'm I'm sure they're doubling down that. You know, and it's, it's, I suspect, and this is me completely spitballing, but I suspect it's because um, the West has become less enamored with the notion of space and space exploration. I mean, on the face of it, since 69, we really haven't done that much with space in terms of space exploration. But that was sort of like the zeitgeist was UFOs, and that's why, you know, UFOs were a big thing. And now there seems to be, again, with this return of paganism, with this this return of people sort of trying to get back to the Earth, earth, with this this really, um, this really uh, reinvigorated um, uh, uh, reinvigorated popularity of conservation. I, I feel like perhaps that Bigfoot wild man archetype has come to, I don't want to say come to rescue us, but I feel like that, that might have something to do with why we're seeing so much Bigfoot stuff in media and why people are so much more accepting to that. That's a very good point because I've been wondering myself because we had that back in the 60s, 70s, and even into the 80s. And in the 80s, the the alien stuff became more and more nightmarish. 
And I think that right. there's definitely a switch there from that kind of optimistic hope of the 60s to this more kind of pessimism of the 80s and 90s. But I've been wondering, since that's not as big a thing anymore, what will the phenomenon take the, its form as next? And you, I think you might hit the nail on the head that now Bigfoot might be the, what the phenomenon is manifesting itself as. And it's interesting to track, and Tim and I talk about this a little bit in the book, but like you, you can track the, the sort of variations, the sort of uh, evolution of the UFO phenomena from strange lights in the sky to airships to, you know, things. It always seems one step ahead of where technology is. And uh, right. Tim had the very astute point of the fact that at one point these were omniscient sort of fairy folk in the forest, large hairy fairy folk in the forest, and they became sort of people who were hairy but still use human implements like rifles and, and, uh, and uh, you know, farming implements, which is something that Tim talks about in his, uh, his historical Bigfoot books. And now, you know, we're at this point where we are, you know, supposedly um, masters of all that we see in the wilderness, and they're just apes. So it's almost like UFO technology goes on a spectrum from primitive to more advanced as we continue, and, and Bigfoot goes from, less, from more advanced to less advanced the more we seem to have some sort of perception of being masters of, of the uh, environment. As you guys are, as you guys are changing, are, are helping to change this uh, paradigm right now, do you, do you think maybe in the future that a, like a Dr. Edgar Mitchell uh, type of study could, could happen for the Bigfoot phenomenon? I think so. I mean, you, you say that we're changing it, and I don't think that any, <laughs> I don't think that anything is going to change from what I ever say. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't. I don't well, I mean, do this for at least try, but you me. know, trying to change it. Um, I think that I think that it's going to suffer the same roadblocks that ufology has suffered. It's going to get really bogged down in scientism. I have a very close friend, very very close friend, who works at JPL, and every time I talk to him about UFOs, he starts talking about spaceships and stuff. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that's what's going on. I think you need to look at magic. I think you need to look at folklore. I think you need to look at like you know sort of you know, pagan studies, and he shuts down. And I think that big footery has reached that sort of thing. I mean, if you look at the initial sort of, you know, Ray Wallace, the, the modern the modern phenomena of Bigfoot study happened at a delayed... Um, it, it hasn't been taken as seriously as long as UFOs have. Seriously, in air quotes, you know. Um, but I, I, I suspect that a lot of these different phenomena reach a point where they are... Um, introduced or introduced into the zeitgeist because obviously UFO lore and Bigfoot lore go back millennia, but they're introduced into the cultural zeitgeist and they are taken quasi-seriously and they reach this critical mass of being taken seriously from a material standpoint and they sort of die down in terms of the way that they're taken seriously. Um, and I think that you can kind of see that sort of thing with with, with Bigfooter. You know? I don't think that you, ufology or... Uh, cryptozoology are going to get any further unless they start embracing what I genuinely perceive, alluded to this earlier, as sort of the frontiers of bleeding edge of science, that sort of psi phenomena, which at this point for me personally, reviewing the literature is unambiguous. And because it's unambiguous and because psi phenomena and, um, you know, all those sort of uh, extrasensory as aspects seem to be almost all but proven in laboratory settings, I think you have to reevaluate the way that you look at these things from a materialist perspective. So I, I think that, I mean, like, is there going to be an Edgar Mitchell of, of, of Bigfoot? 
I don't know. I mean, like, how many? It's also one of those things that you know, how many people, how many credible people have to come forward with any of this stuff? Right. Uh, you've had plenty of credible people with, you know, UFO sightings. Plenty of credible people, forest rangers, park rangers. I mean, I'm sitting here looking right now at the at the Great Smoky National Forest, and uh, if you can stand here and tell me that there's not there there isn't a possibility of something going on right here, I'm just gonna tell you that I, I, I feel like if these people, a lot of people in cities, or a lot of people in you know very I'm not being you know negative towards urban populations, but I feel like they don't have a real grasp for how weird and big and just it's wild true. the world still is you know yeah and, and i mean what you're looking at right now the great smoky mountains you know how many people have disappeared there oh, I mean, it's, oh, it's yeah, like it's a exciting. ridiculous number i mean we've done shows about it right. well let's uh before we let you go because we're running out of time let's talk a little bit about what you individually are yeah so in addition to my talk with tim which is on where the footprints end which is our the first of two books on sort of high strangeness in Bigfoot accounts. I personally am going to be talking about um, how the uh, fairy lore phenomena of changelings interfaces with the hybrid lore of uh, extraterrestrial uh, abductions in the, in the modern sense. Um, specifically, or with an emphasis rather, I should say, on how the idea of the fairy stock, which was like literally a, like a, a log that was made to look like a baby, through fairy glamour, through fairy illusion, um, has manifested itself in uh, in modern alien hybrid lore, which is something that, <laughs> you know, a lot of people have drawn comparisons between changelings and these alien hybrid babies that people claim that they see aboard spacecraft, but it goes a little bit deeper than that in terms of the... Uh, in terms of the parallels that you see between the two phenomena. Uh, and it, it's sort of fleshing out a, a presentation that I've given before. It's going to be a little bit longer than what I did before. It's really sort of doing a deeper dive into that. And, again, I, I, there are very few things that I'm, I'm certain of. I, I'm quite certain that the alien abduction experience, not the UFO experience, not seeing a light in the sky, that's all I'm saying, not seeing a structured craft in the sky. I'm going to kind of put those off to the side. But the way in which the alien abduction experience, the contact experience, uh, mimics fairy lore. It's 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 startlingly close, and I, having sort of gone through the ringer of looking at this stuff comparatively, I'm pretty convinced that you can show me anything in one that I cannot. That I, I will find a comparison in one that I can find an almost direct correlate for in the other. Um, so right. that's that's sort of really sort of digging into that because if you ask me, you know, into my head, do I think that they're actual alien hybrids? No. Do I believe these people are having actual experiences? 100%. Um, yes. So just trying to reconcile that and trying to find those similarities, I think, is, is something that uh, is beneficial both to the ufology and folklore. Absolutely. That's going to be That's amazing. excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to go too so much into it because... <laughs> yeah, I, I, want, I want people to come, so we don't want to go, like, you know, we don't want all the details, but, yeah, that's, that is... Uh, I think that's going to be great. I think we're going to have like a a really far flung conference, guys, and there's going to be so many different kinds of topics. Yeah, at this thing, yeah, Bigfoot, I UFOs. I mean, ghosts. We get flat Earth. You know, we're going to talk to Tim Banal here next about that. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of different things that we're going to talk about at this conference. Are you going to incorporate the tuba? 
you, you got to bring the two of the Josh. How much, how much you gonna pay me? We can that's, see that's if what I do for yeah, money, man. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, well, we we can maybe see if Joe can uh, find some. Uh, Find some ghosts in your tuba. He's pretty good at that. I bet yeah, SAR you, probably you has laugh, a tuba. You laugh, but I'm going to be probably coming up to national, uh, to national Straits after a gig, so I might have the tuba <laughs> in the trunk. Hey, if uh, you need to make a couple bucks, too, a, you can just chill on Broadway. There's a chance the tuba will be involved at some point. <laughs> Excellent, Josh. Um, where can people find you, get in touch with you, um, and what uh, you? I guess what's, what's next for Joshua Cutchin? Well, you can find me in Nashville in October. October 19th. Let's, 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 let's grab a beer, everybody. Um, but until then, um, you can find me at joshuacutchin.com. My books are available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Or, you know, if you come to, Na- come to Nashville, you know, I can sign it and you can pal around with Josh and mm-hmm. we'll have a grand old time. So I, I hope to see a lot of people there. And um, just, I'm, I, as I said to you off the air, uh, Adam, I'm, I've been to quite a few conferences this year, but I'm I'm the most excited about this one. <laughs> because Excellent, it's, it's, man. It's, it's, yeah. it's a great, great. It's a great, it's a great combination of different people with different yeah. viewpoints and some spirited discussion. I'm sure will follow. Well, you were the first person I asked. You well, were really the first it, person. I really yeah. appreciate it. I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out because it was sort of dicey there for a minute, but mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. cool. Well, let's, thanks a uh, lot. Yeah, thank you, Josh. Um, stay on the line for us. We're going to go on to the next segment, guys, and we will be right back on the show. Talk more about the Strange Realities Conference 2019. All right. Well, we're back on the show, and we have another speaker that is going to be here at the Strange Realities Conference on October 19th here in Nashville, Tennessee, and that's Tim Banal. Welcome, Tim. It feels like you were just here not that long ago. <laughs> That's because I was here just not that long ago. How you doing, guys? Uh, thanks for having Good. me back. I'm um, looking forward to it. Really looking forward to uh, the big event in October. Yeah, yeah, man. Everything I hear about people who have seen you give this presentation, they they love it. And they're saying that it's the best uh, of all these places they've, they've gone to, these events they've gone to. Yep. <laughs> well... That's I, I appreciate that. I've only done it like twice, so it's not like it's some, um, you know. And I, but I will say this: when I do the presentation it, at Strange Realities Conference, it's going to be the best one of the three. It, it's the third time I've done it; it'll be the best one. Hell yeah! Um, because I have been I was saying to Adam when he wanted to book this show tonight, um, kind of at the last minute, I was like, "Well, this actually really works out." You're not inconveniencing me because uh, I've been knee deep, neck deep in flat earthery for the whole holiday weekend. Here it is, uh, the Tuesday after Columbus Day. So, getting ready for this presentation um, and doing just just dive. I don't know, kind of like I'm not a flat earther. I don't want anyone to fucking ever think that. So, <laughs> so I'm already concerned. Like people are gonna look at the thing and be like what the fuck because they said that in baltimore they were like oh he's i thought you were going to talk about like i thought you were going to be about all about the flat earth but it wasn't really it was actually like about the flat earth movement i was like yeah so that's what that's what i'll be talking about at uh at the strange realities conference and so i've been i've wanted to know more you know i was like well if i the one in baltimore was kind of a lark 
and I, I revived the conference. I had done it like a year prior in Canada at Paul Kimball's event, uh, Esotericon. So then I uh, revived it for the Baltimore thing, and then when we were talking about having me down to Nashville for the thing, and I knew that uh, I had the, the set already prepared and everything, and it was like, well, I want to put a fresh coat of paint on this and really, uh, really dug into it. So it's going to be great. I've, I've learned a lot more information, uh, a lot more information about the history of how the Flat Earth Movement started um, and a, a ton more about the current state of the Flat Earth uh, theory community. And, and to sort of get across the, the breadth of, of what I'm talking about here, when I say uh, I've learned about more about the origins, the origins of this Flat Earth Theory movement go all the way back to the 1830s. So we're talking like 117 years before Roswell. That's how, that's how far back it goes, before any of this UFO stuff, before any of the Bigfoot stuff. <laughs> they, were, they were kicking around the Flat Earth movement in the form that it is today, you know. So it's, it's kind of like crazy. The parallels, the things you see that are going on in the halls and, and lecture circuit of England uh, in the 1830s, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, talking about people going around talking about the flat earth in, in, in the same way we'll all be getting together in Nashville to talk about our crazy theories and stuff. So it's it's unbelievable the similarities. Yeah, just people just people getting together these these conferences and stuff. So this is not the flat earth stuff does not start with uh, Columbus then I guess people denying that the world was around. So it's a little bit of a later development. No, yeah, that's one of the biggest misconceptions about all this is that yeah. the apparently that was there's quite a backstory to that, but that's not the that that's not wasn't the case. People didn't think that the Earth was flat. Columbus had no um, that had nothing to do with what Columbus was doing, nor did it when it, when Columbus discovered America did it have any like and it had no no one thought to themselves. Oh, okay, I guess the world isn't flat. That wasn't even an idea. No one even, everybody assumed the world was round. So the background to that is that uh, the idea that got introduced sort of in the, at the time was that, like, uh, Columbus represented a change from the, the Dark Ages to the Enlightenment. And it was supposed to be a critique of the people before the Enlightenment. They believed crazy superstitious thoughts and, and dark, you know, ideas, and, and they, they believed in backward ideas, like that the earth was flat, but we're enlightened, um, you know, and he helped, he was part of the ushering in of this enlightenment, but it's all bullshit. It's all like, it was propagated at the time, you know, by people of that era to make themselves of later era, I think. Right. I may have bossed the timeline a bit there, but essentially that's kind of the idea. You get where I'm coming from? Yeah. 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 So, you know, he was sort of an allegory for that dark time, but really it had, it, it, that wasn't the case at all, you know. And why they were trying to paint this picture of, like, that and all that, it's complicated. It's like, at the core of a lot of this, it's like uh, like sort of a, li a religion and science uh, positioned uh, as opposing forces, but not really. This is, the, this is like how deep... <laughs> 
I feel like I'm like some stone college dude, like on a couch trying to explain all this to you. But yeah, like the, these these two forces are are depicted in opposition by the scientific community as a way of like breaking out as their own thing yeah. away from the church. So they were like, oh, the church is all about you know uh, following stuff by the letter and everything. They you know, they're, the flat Earth is like, you know, they're all about it. They think, you know, the Earth is only like this many years old and stuff, you know. And this is like way, way back when science was literally like first starting as a, an independent thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is the whole idea of the Earth being like 6,000 years old, I think. Like you're kind of like young Earth creationism. Is this all more of a recent Protestant development, it seems like? Well, what I'm talking about now? Yeah. Or the, or, like the, the flat Earth, the, the recent flat Earth. There's a lot of the elements in it. Yeah, there are a lot of elements. I I found that I was very surprised to find that. I kind of thought that there's that people had moved on from that, but even now there's like two factions. There's like the the people that think that it's a scientific issue for lack of a better term. <laughs> right. And there right, are those yeah. quote, that think quote that unquote. Yeah. Right. And there are those that are just like super hardcore uh you know, Bible literalists like who were like, no, it says the earth is flat. Yeah. Right, exactly. Well, th- there seems to be in the in th- this modern flat earth movement, and I guess that it has a lot to do with the, um, I guess, the old time flat earth movement, for lack of a better term. A lot of people that they seem to want to be able to justify some of their belief system using flat earth. As this, in other words, to say, like, you know, like, it, this goes along with, like, the idea of, like, the young Earth creationism of being about 6,000 years old, and it, like, it's, it, it totally jives with the Bible, even though there's a lot of scholars and religious scholars that say that it actually doesn't, but they wanted everything to jive, to jive just completely with the Bible, and I noticed a lot of people posting on some of these flat Earth forums, and, like, when it was really big, like, two or three years ago, a lot right. of people would say, like, I have really found renewed faith because of the flat earth. You know, and, and it gives people, like, this purpose. And there's been a lot of uh, Christian, evangelical Christian, fundamentalist Christian researchers that have really pushed the flat earth stuff. Like, Rob Skiba is one that that comes to mind. I don't know if he came up in your research. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know the name, but I haven't really looked at his stuff. But yeah, yeah I've seen, really like I said, there's up. some different factions who were like, hey, you know, th- this is too religious. And others who were like, you're not, you're you're just, you're in league with the, sci- the science, you know. There's a, an anti-science, you know. The, back, this is less now, more in the sort of, you know, nascent era that I'm talking about. It was kind of like, they, they tried to... There were people, not necessarily flat earth people, but definitely some flat earth people, but just people in that time period who were like tried to, talking like the mid 1800s or whatever, who tried to, like science wasn't revered like it is now. It was this new thing. Right. You know? Right. It was this, and I know people are like, oh, science has been around forever, but I'm talking about like as a social construct. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like they didn't, a person wasn't a scientist until. Like, at some point, they started being called scientists, you know? Until then, for a while, they were called men of science. And, you know, and other than that, I think before it was, like, natural observer, you know? They didn't even have the word scientist. So, so I'm talking yeah. about, like, at yeah. that time, 
at that time, if you if you were even involved in the sciences, like you were looked at askance, and 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 you could we're not talking about like when they persecuted Galileo and shit. I just mean like socially, where it was like, oh, you could be smeared. You know, you're in league with that. You're in league with the silliness of science that that tries to deny what the Bible says. You know, that that actually held a lot of sway at the time. Yeah, I think there was this huge. Well, I mean, there's 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 kind of two phases of this because you've got the 17th century, where at the beginning of the 17th century, Archbishop Usher, right, makes this calculation based on the Book of Genesis that basically the Earth is was created in the year 4004 bc and he even comes up with like even like the exact time that the earth was actually created before the the sun and the moon even existed even like the mechanisms of time were even possible so he comes up with this and this is essentially kind of like a modern idea because this is something that comes from 17th century england which is very you know firmly ensconced in the modern age as we define it right you know right, post 1500 right. so you have this whole idea of young earth creationism and that starts around that time so young earth creationism is essentially a modern idea you know the, the, all these other stuff from the bible and all this is more, much more of a it, 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 it's very just like poetic language and and ancient people would have understood it in that way you know we can't really explain what's going on so this is the best way we can explain it and then you have the second phase where darwin publishes the origin of species and then every and then like all hell just breaks loose Right. right. So this exactly. whole idea of like we 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 can exp- we have the alternate theory of this young earth creationism and then somehow along the line this flat earth stuff gets in there too. And this is I think much more of a recent development where that has almost been used as this justification for the young earth creationism as well. I mean it's 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 strange how people think about all this. Right. Well, it's a situation, too, where, and I think it comes socially, like, in waves, which is probably why, uh, you know, I'd like to take a look at this deeper, but I'm speculating here, but it's like, uh, maybe why it, it, Flat Earth seems to crop up at certain times, but it's like, people, back when it first became big, in the uh, 1800s, and now, there's both, at times, sort of this prevailing feeling more so then than now, but in both ways you can kind of see it. It's like people don't like the society, the zeitgeist at the time or whatever. They don't like being told. They just don't like being talked down to. They don't like being told yeah. that that yeah. experts have these answers, you know, using science that they don't understand. Um, you know, and so and, and a different. And I think that kind of ebbs and flows maybe with society. So it's like when. When, when we're all aboard science, when we're like, oh, science is the best, can you, you know, look at what it can do and everything, then we're not all suspicious and ideas like flat earth theory don't all of a sudden have some cachet to them. Right. Because you're talking about the you industrial know. revolution and now this technological revolution, both of which have been, you know, shattering to societies in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, for sure. People are, yeah, and that disrupts. 
that disrupts people's lives. They lose jobs and everything, you know, and uh, the whole economy changes, and then that causes all kinds of angst in uh, society and everything. So we're still trying to get through that change. Well, there's this very... A lot of people, like what they want to do is they want to turn back the clock because they feel like it really makes their lives more simple to think that we live under some kind of dome or this firmament idea that's described in the Bible, that we don't have to, things don't have to be as complex. And I really think that when you're thinking about this idea that we are on this arm of the Milky Way galaxy and in this one galaxy amongst many galaxies and the vastness of space, that's just too much, I think, for a lot of people to really handle just to think just to think about. It. I mean, you don't normally think about that kind of thing, but when people really start to think about it, I think it can really make you feel insignificant. So this idea that we are living in this dome or whatever that's created by this God that is close by makes, I think it makes people feel more significant. Right. Yeah. Cause then we're chosen. We're like the chosen, we're a special creation or something. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I can't speak to what these people believe or why they believe it, but right. I will say that I'm on a mission to find out. <laughs> so, cause to me, like the question you're kind of asking is something that I've been really wondering over the last, like, I really got back into this, uh, you know, kind of as we got, as, as, as summer wound down, I knew this event was coming up in Nashville. I was like, well, you know, let me look at this again. And then I, then I sort of, it kind of caught me. There's a book, there's a fantastic book uh, called Flat Earth, The History of an Infamous Idea by Christine Garwood. Mm. That is, uh, I had all, I had done all my own original research for the previous, um, speaking engagements and I had seen this book, but I just never had the time. It's like 500 pages. Um, you know, I never had the time and all of a sudden the event would creep up on me and everything. So, and then I would get out of the event and I'd be like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to think about the flat earth anymore, dude. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was sort of getting then, to you after a while. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's how I felt like today when I first started work, uh, after the break and I'd been like, I had, flat earth all in my headspace for like two days, three days. Um, but I got the book this weekend. That's the kind of the point, the, you know, that's kind of how I've learned all this new information that previously, you know, I couldn't find anywhere online. So it's an excellent book. It's like, uh, maybe a decade old. Um, but it has the whole history of the, of how it, how it rose up in England. A lot of the stuff I'm telling you now, it's uh yeah, an excellent book. I forget how I got onto that subject, but what the hell are we talking about that led into that? People's belief, it justifying belief. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. That, there's a book. I was reading the book this weekend and uh, sort of uh, preparing for this event in Nashville. And um, I watched, have you seen the movie on Netflix, Behind the Curve? No, I have not. I have not seen it. You've got to walk, watch it before I do, before, <laughs> before, okay. I, before the event in Nashville. Okay. Before the Strange Realities Conference on October 19th. Uh, Folks, if you aren't going to be there, I'm telling you, I was saying this to Adam before the show came on. If you're thinking to yourself, ah, I'm not sure, or, oh, we'll see how it goes, or, you know, I'll go to the next one, you know, you got to go to this one. We don't know if there's going to be a next one, you know. We got to get the first one up and running. So don't procrastinate. Don't bucket list it. You know, just get your tickets now. Come down. It's going to be an amazing time. It's going to be a wild 
going to be kind of a wild party, I'm afraid. I'm, <laughs> but I'll be on my best behavior. I don't know about the rest of the guys, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a weekend to to remember. It's going to be or 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 an unforgettable weekend. I don't know which one, but uh, yeah, it's going to be great. So, Strange Realities Conference. dot com, right? dot com. Yeah, that's it. StrangeRealitiesConference.com. dot com. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I will reiterate. Yeah, so check gonna, out behind the curve though, because it's. No, oh, good. Well, I'm going to reiterate. It's going to be. It's going to be incredible. Just for the simple fact yeah. that you're going to be there, Tim. I mean, that's Tim Bernal oh, in the house. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But I was talking about this with Kutch the other night because uh, we're excited about the event and everything. And um, yeah, you know, it's. I don't know how much you guys have talked about Paramania on this this show or whatever, but it's like these weekend get-togethers are. Like, they're like lightning in a bottle, dude. You never know. Like, there's a certain combination of people who may never all be together in Nashville ever again. That's the other. That to me, that's why. Like, when you uh, were talking about putting this event together, I'm like, I want to be a part of this because, you know, you guys are going to make a go at it, and let's let's fucking let's try and make it make it happen. Well, I'll I'll say this. You know, I, I was I was handing out flyers, and um, someone asked me, "Are you going to be streaming it?" And I have mixed feelings about the streaming thing. I know a lot of conferences do that. Um, we, I don't think we're going to do that this year. But especially if you're here in Nashville, just come. Just come. Yeah, I mean, in, yeah. you know, I mean, just just come out. It's a Saturday in October. Just come out. It's it's a fairly inexpensive. And I mean, we're, look, we're charging thirty bucks to go pre-sale, forty dollars at the door. I mean that's and there are seven speakers and there are actually eight presentations. And I mean that's, everyone's going to be really accessible too. It's not going to be like yeah, exactly. you guys aren't all going to be back in some green room and like not talking to any of the fans or anybody. It's going to oh, be no, really no, no, cool. no, no. It's like yeah. the complete opposite. That's the that's the real draw going to an event like five dollars you know, like a presentation. Part, yeah, these conversations you hear on this show, you can have your own conversations with the people who are in attendance. So Absolutely. you know, we haven't talked to anybody about the flat Earth. Yeah. So, or, or anything else. Or <laughs> anything else for that matter. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, just one more point about the flat earth that I wanted to make um, real quick. I mean, this may come up in your presentation. I don't know. But this idea that it is really linked up to now the kind of the conspiracy truther movement, because, you know, you 9-11 truth was a big, big thing back in the 2000s. And it really a lot of that really lent lent in went into the flat earth stuff because now it's like you know the flat earth stuff is a conspiracy that the jesuits and or the freemasons created illuminati yeah you know, the illuminati you know there's all these complicated um memes and uh, pictures online that show you know like guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Werner von Braun are all part of the grand conspiracy and all this. So, so it really has these connections to the conspiracy movement of just saying, well, like, but, but it's this idea that we've been lied to so much and we have been lied to about things, but this idea that we've been lied to so much, we must have been lied to about the, about the flat earth and birds. Yeah. And birds. Yeah. Birds are a conspiracy too, apparently. Those are just listening drones. Birds. I think I yeah. saw that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so just th- just this idea when you mix in, and this is fairly common too, with especially in like the really the the fringe Christian stuff, really mixes in the religion with the conspiracy. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. What I find so endearing about this is, like, that it predates everything <laughs> you just, like, mentioned. You know what I mean? It's, we're talking right. about something that's, like, 180-something years old, uh, the, the, the flat earth theory as we know it, you know? And to me, that's, like, 180 years old, dude. That's how old, that's how old this conspiracy theory is. So it's, uh, you know... I mean, like, in the form, like, you could take the stuff that the guy who kicked it off in the 1830s, the same, like, stuff is the basis for today's conspiracy theory. You know, where they're like, here are a hundred reasons why the Earth is flat. It's like the same, it's what the guy was saying in the halls in the 1830s. To me, that's like, (laughs) this is adorable and weird. And, like, how... (laughs) How is this still going? You've had like almost two centuries, and like, come on, at what point do you give up on this? Yeah, and I think you really got involved with the celebrity culture, especially the way that it yes. manifested itself with like uh, was it the rapper B.O.B. and Tila Tequila and and all this oh, yeah. weird uh, stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it got really big. The it's chick kinda, from Stranger Things, the girl from Stranger Things, was talking about flatter stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it grew, like, if we were going to trace it kind of how you're saying, like, I think there was probably, like, 9-11. Then 9-11 died out. I think Flat Earth kind of grew out of that little vacuum. Uh, maybe. I'd have to take a really closer look at this. So, yeah, I'm, like, speculating. But, like, I think it kind of maybe, if I'm thinking about it right, maybe it grew out of, like, the Obama years. Because you didn't see as much... So the conspiracy like flavor changed, I guess you might say. Yeah. Because it was all like uh, this. Is all, there's all these conspiracies surrounding like the Iraq War and the weapons of mass. You know, the, all that stuff kind of. And 9/11, you know, all the whole thing was kind of under one thing. Yeah. And it's like if you really think about it, once once Bush was out, then we kind of a lot of that stuff kind of fizzled out. And out of that, I think he saw, from what I can remember, like that's when the flat Earth started kind of bubbling up. And that's when, um, you know, like that we like the Illuminati and the pop, the pop star yeah, Illuminati yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, that, that that was kind of around the same time, from what I can remember. I think a lot of it um, probably has to do with YouTube. Yeah, yeah, YouTube came along. Yeah, exactly. And then flat Earth. You know, so, and I think what's happening now, in a sense, is like where that same overlap. Is, is like kind of smothering the flat earth. Hmm. So we're now we're in the Trumpian years, and we're into all these other conspiracies, mostly like, you know, surrounding which side of the of the Trump conspiracy you're on, I guess. You know, Deep State or yeah, Russia the, or whatever. The QAnon um, and stuff, And then there's QAnon, yeah. Yep. And QAnon's like the flat earth. QAnon, like, it's like the natural... It just it seems like the cousin of the flat earth somehow. It's like, there, it's very much... Of the same ilk, you know, it's it's sort of like very fantastical and extreme, and and there's celebrities endorsing it, and it's also really hilariously absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it pings all the same boxes as the flat Earth. I'd be very, I would be very interested and not at all surprised if we found out that like a good percentage of the Q people just moved on or came from flat earth world, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and their I, attitude is like, their attitude is probably like, 
because uh, the QAnon thing is like very living in the present. So they're probably like, the fucking world is flat, yeah, man, but now we got to worry about fucking child sacrifices. You know, so to them, like, to them, the shape of the earth doesn't even fucking matter anymore. It's just flat. Get over it. Well, but, but, <laughs> they've but, given up. They've just accepted that as fact and moved on to taking down the satanic cabal. Right, which goes back into the satanic panic stuff from the 80s and right, 90s, right. too. Right, right. They haven't yeah. changed their mind, is the point I'm trying, yeah. trying to make. They haven't come right. to their senses and gone, oh, no, of course the world is round, but now it's worth... No, I think they're probably just like, yeah, it's flat, but yeah. that's been settled. It's settled science, flat Earth. We've got to move on. Yeah, you're just recycling all these different ideas and all these different memes. Um, one of the things that I've that I've played with um, about the flat Earth stuff when it was really, really popular a couple of years ago was just this idea that and I really felt like I really felt like this that there was probably some kind of almost disinformation campaign to really kind of smear the truther movement like the uh, not especially the 911 truther movement to try to make it to 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 use the same kind of language that the 911 truther movement used to make it seem to to put that into the flat earth idea and to just really kind of make fools of these people I, I think that there was there may have been some concerted misinfor- disinformation misinformation that was going on. That's entirely possible, and you caught me in something of a mistake because I said like the celebrity thing came up around the same time as the flat Earth thing, and I completely uh, blanked on the other thing was what you're talking about, uh, which was like this false flag genre, for lack of a better term. You know, that yeah. was false flag was the you know. The big conspiracy for a while between 9-11 and the QAnon thing. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the flat, they could have, like, injected the flat earth, revived the flat earth stuff. You know, there's certainly probably a lot of chefs, I guess you could say, in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? Like, all, sometimes yeah. all it needs is a nudge, probably, you know. I'm not saying, like, a whole bunch of people are saying they believe in the flat earth because the government, like, brainwashed them or something like that. But certainly, like, a little a little extra juice to the flat earth thing. But part of it too is I think the YouTube had a huge hand in it. Oh yeah. Which yeah. again, there you go. That could be part of the conspiracy where it's like YouTube, you know, they're just like, make sure you show every third person a fucking flat earth video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Essentially. I mean, that's, that's, that's really kind of how it went. Um, so Cool, man. But it's interesting. Like I said, I'm on a mission, in a sense, to to find out some of these questions about these people that we... I don't care. It's hard. I have to figure out how to approach them, in a sense, because like, I don't really care about their their explanation for why the Earth is flat. You know what I mean? It's right. like, we need, we, need, we need to move on from that. I need to know why. Like, what di- the real question I have is, what difference does it make? You know what I mean? If it's like, because these people feel so passionately about it, but it's like, if they said the earth was flat tomorrow, like you still got to go to work and everything. <laughs> There's no... No, I'm calling out, man. <laughs> no way. Well, you would be exposing the greatest conspiracy of all. That's, uh, I think yeah. that's part of the, the way that they think. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> oh, man. I, w- I want to know what drives them, though. And I do want to know how many of them, like, where they fall on the Q, where they fall on Q, on UFOs. Like, where do they stand on all these? Yeah, you could really see where, those, conspiracy theories. where it comes from, how they got into it in the first place. That'd be interesting. Yeah, the intersection between them. Yeah, a lot of them, I think, a lot of them, like, a good percentage cite YouTube. Like, they did a really, 
meager study. Like I think they asked like a hundred people at the recent conference uh, they had in Denver, and like I think like ninety nine percent said that they got it from YouTube. That's how they learned about the flat Earth. Or they, or they were turned on to it by someone who saw it on YouTube. So I think we can all thank the crumbling American uh, public education system for the yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's the part of it. Fault, yeah, that's part of it. But you know, there's this whole thing from the conspiracy movement too, where basically, where any some when someone comes a like Neil deGrasse Tyson or somebody tries to come and refute these ideas. They'll say, well, you can't listen to them because they're all in the pockets of the Jesuits or the Illuminati or somebody like that. You know, this this is this whole idea that like you trust no one idea, especially when you know, right. we just did that whole Woke in the 90s series. I mean, that was essentially, you know, the X-Files. Trust no one, you know, this whole idea. So you can't trust the supposed experts because they're all in the pocket of these vested interests yeah, and these powerful people. I'm still waiting on this damn Jesuit check to clear, too, man. I don't know if it's... A... <laughs> um. Yeah, that happened when I was up in Canada. Like one of the a young lady in the audience was like saying that she saw on YouTube that she, that the Earth was flat and a lot of the stuff that they fake. That essentially she was like, somehow the conversation came around to like, well, they've taken a picture of the Earth from space, so it's pretty clearly round. And uh, you know, and she's like, but what if it's fake? And I'm just like, oh, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like, at some point you have to draw, draw the line of. You know, uh, it's like not just—it's like not just that picture. There's millions of them now, or thousands, yeah. or whatever. You got a lot like of satellites great. up there all all day long. Right. I heard the best thing ever. I, I have to try this. But it's like if you want to just prove that the Earth is not flat, you get a flat surface where you can see the sunset, and you get on your belly, and you watch the sunset, and then you stand up and you can watch it again. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the simplest way to do it. Interesting. I haven't tried it, but the way it was explained, that's how it, you know. That's how I read it, and it was like that makes perfect sense because it's curved. So you would go over the curve. Now watch, I'm gonna try it, and I'd be like, it didn't work. It didn't work. But I think <laughs> they lied it to makes me. sense to me because once you stand up, you're higher over the curve, and then you can see the sunset again. You know, maybe not in its entirety, <laughs> but, you know, whatever, however long the distance between your fucking, when you're standing and when your head's on the ground. Yeah, or you can fly or take a boat to Madagascar from the Pacific uh, around Australia, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot cheaper just to lie down in my backyard. <laughs> I got to find a flat place, though. I guess I'm, that's my other part of my quest, then. <laughs> All right, Tim. We'll try it in Nashville. We'll, we'll find a flat place where the sun. <laughs> we'll prove it for once and for all. We will. We will. Maybe with some astronomical alignments, or we'll be involved too. Um, <laughs> all right, Tim. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Um, oh, what, my pleasure, buddy. You know, you uh, know, guys. What's what's uh, what's next for you, and uh, where are you going to be on October nineteenth, twenty nineteen? I'm going to be at the Strange Realities Conference. That is what's next for me. I, I got a clear slate. Uh, Till then, so cool. October nineteenth. I was just in ex- up in Exeter for the uh, yeah. UFO how was festival that last weekend? It was okay. It was fun. Uh, it was very festivaly and people in crazy costumes. It's on my Twitter. People should follow me on Twitter. That's where you're going to get bite-sized versions of what 
of what you've heard this evening. Um, so that's banal, twitter.com slash B-I-N-N-A-L-L. Um, yeah, it was cool. A lot of people in costume. It was interesting to watch. It's interesting to see. Um, you know, but I felt like more like a bystander. So it's interesting. Okay. But that was it. So now I'm on my way to Nashville in uh, a little under seven weeks, and it's going to be an awesome time. For real, folks, it's it's going to be... It's going to be a really, really good time. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, you know, I want to meet all the listeners and, and the people who are part of the conspiratorial universe. And um, you know, we're going to have a good time for sure. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a great time, and it's going to be very informative too, guys. So we really want you to come out. You can get your tickets thirty bucks right now, pre-sale at uh, strangerealitiesconference.com. All right. Well, we're going to close out this section. We'll be back with one of our other speakers on Conspiracy Normal. If you want your HR team to hire top talent for your company, tell them about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your company's job posts so you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Guys, we're with Timothy Renner. We're back. And Tim is going to be with us also at the Strange Realities Conference 2019. So welcome back to Conspiracy Normal, Tim. Man, it's been so long since I've been on. <laughs> I know, I, I know, I know. This this all kind of came together last minute today. <laughs> so, <laughs> to get all three of you guys on, we just wanted, <laughs> we were going to do this anyway, so we figured we'd take this opportunity to kind of like just really since we're not that far away about six by the time that this comes out it's going to be six weeks less than six weeks until the conference happens on october 19th so we were going to do this these things anyway so i think that this is just a good way to uh to promote the conference and all that so we were kind of talking a little bit about um your struggles with youtube when we did our swap cast not that long ago back in yeah a couple through two or three weeks ago yeah, it was demonetized, you know, uh, overnight. It, sometimes when you upload something, and Soraya told me there's a certain algorithm. He said stuff with like cemeteries and death almost always gets demonetized right away. Um, but this in particular, um, there shouldn't have been anything that would have uh, gone against their standards, other than we suspect possibly Conspiranormal has one half of conspiracy in its name yeah we even spell it different right i know in fact know. people get it wrong most of the time and spell it spell that put the, the switch the i with an a which i guess is like the natural spelling but since like i really just kind of screwed up on it at the very beginning i've just kept it with the i you know mm-hmm. but you know whenever i tag the show i usually do the alternate spelling but it I was thinking that maybe actually that would actually not get us banned from YouTube. And that's the only thing that, that, that when you told me that you were having problems with that video being monetized, that that's the only thing that I could think of that would even remotely even cause that. And we, I actually told you that when we first were recording that show, I was like, I think it might happen. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I spent, I don't know how long online with someone from YouTube waiting to get, you know, a real human. And uh, I finally did. <laughs> and I asked them, you know, why monetize? And they said, oh, it could be any number of reasons from any of the tags to the title to the icon image. It could be anything. And I can't tell you what exactly that is. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's not the least bit helpful. Right. <laughs> like, right. It would be re- really nice to know what I've done wrong so I don't do it again. And they said, well, we can't tell you that. It's just some things against our standards. Well, they, so, yeah. I took it down, re-uploaded it with no title. It just says Strange Familiars episode 111. I think that was the 111. And yeah. uh, no description, just so see, go to uh, strangefamiliars.com or something like that. And uh, as I, as far as I know, last I checked, it was uh, monetized. So it was something in one of the keywords, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. or the title. Yeah, I mean, and that goes to show when he told you that he could not tell you that they don't even know what their algorithm is even doing. Like, that's even more, as an artificial intelligence, that's even more complex for them. Yeah, because you can request a, a human to look at it. So there's some algorithm flags it to begin with and then if like for my stuff it'll get flagged like let's say i do a cemetery show it will get flagged right if that's in the title but then i can always request like hey can somebody you know go over this like a real person and you have to like check a box as i guarantee this is you know this meets your standards blah 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 and most of the time then it gets reapproved for monetization well this time it didn't they said no your your video you know after someone looked at it or whatever it's this still so someone some real human looked at it even after the algorithm and decided no and it, you know that's not the person you ever get to talk to i guess it's it's sure. someone else you sure know, sure yeah arbitrary uh, bullshit oh it really is and it's you know it's their platform like this is this is the thing this isn't me whining about free speech it's their, their platform I think it's stupid the way they do it, and I wish someone would come along and, and do YouTube better than YouTube. I don't think it'd be very difficult at this point, but it is their platform. It, you know, it's owned by Google. They can set their own standards. Uh, you know, nothing I can do about that. But I wish they would be clear about the rules, for one. And uh, y- you know, well, you know, it is what it is. This is what happens when we let corporations be gatekeepers of our culture. Yeah. If corporations are people, why don't they die? Amen. Who said that? <laughs> I heard that in some band called Albatross or something. Brilliant. That's, that's a brilliant line. I originally had it as, if corporations are people, why can't we kill them? And my partner, my partner, see, I'm the folk guy. I'm supposed to be like Mr. Mellow. The other guy is the black metal guy, right? Right, right. We, we combine forces in that band. He's like, we, we, you can't call it that. I'm like, what do you mean I can't call? I, of course we can call it that. He's like, no, no, no. I think, I, I think that's a little too, too much. I'm like, all right, whatever. I, I think that it's just crazy how YouTube has been doing this. Um, recently, and I sent you this article. They actually, oh, yeah. they actually banned videos of battle bots people having building these little robots that they that they they have them fight each other and stuff you know the battle bot show was like a big thing of like 10 15 years ago on tv i right? remember yeah and youtube actually banned this or their algorithms banned it because they said it showed animal cruelty <laughs> maybe it's the ai trying to stick up for its its kind yeah. right yeah right it's like you don't hurt us 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's just amazingly and it, it, amazing and it's amazingly stupid. And, and and I guess somebody caught that in YouTube and they decided that they would just go ahead and and, and allow it. But it, it's just it's so bizarre and so weird how that this stuff is. And and YouTube I think is like the worst one. I don't think Twitter, yeah. uh, you know, Facebook. You hear a lot about them. But YouTube is the one that's like just removing people just kind of left and right. Well, we were talking to, we were just talking to Tim Banal, you know, he's doing his whole flat earth thing and he was talking about how the, you know, this whole resurgence of flat earth was popularized just pretty much just through YouTube. So, you know, maybe it's the fact that YouTube understands, uh, you know, how influential they have been in creating entire zeitgeist. Um, so you know they've got that extra pressure i guess yeah yeah i suppose so and i mean to be fair they weren't banning the videos they were just saying i couldn't make any money on them yeah totally right 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 so you which know, probably again, has that's... more to do with what the advertisers want you know right. don't want to be exactly. represented by something yeah. they think is too fringe or extreme well, exactly that happened to them i think they found out uh some of their advertisers found out they were putting ads on like you know white power videos or something and uh, freaked out, understandably, you know, understandably. And I think a lot of this came as partially as a result of that. Um, but yeah, but, you know, if I'm not allowed to monetize, I don't even want to be on YouTube. I only get, you know, it's a few thousand views on there per episode versus, you know, however many time, you know, times that via every other th- service. So if, if I can't monetize, it's, I'm not even going to take the time to load up the uh, the videos. Well, well, how... What is the number now? What's the magic number now that you have to have subscribers to actually monetize? Because I don't think we're actually yeah we're anywhere not even near in the ballpark. I, we're we're around about six hundred subscribers at this point. Which hey, so, I was late to the game, so we can see just to get let down, guys. Make sure you go subscribe to Paranormal <laughs> yes, YouTube. Subscribe, yeah, right. <laughs> it's a thousand subscribers, I believe, and a certain number of you know watch time, or in our case, listening time in the past month. I think. Yeah. Has thirty days, which you will have. Podcasts have that time because people sit there and listen. You know right. what I mean. So it's only so a thousand. Okay, that's obtainable. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, but then We're you 400 have to something you have, away. You have to be approved for monetization, though. Yeah, and that's then, where we're probably going to encounter something. Yeah, I, it took me almost a year to get approved of submitting and resubmitting and trying to figure out what I was doing wrong. Uh, I got I got Soraya demonetized in that time not on purpose uh because they they caught that we i had let soraya put my shows up with permission on his channel just so i could get more listeners yeah you know? yeah and and uh he had my permission which is that's technically not against their rules but they said it was uh duplicate content with uh with where did the road go and they they demonetized him and refused to monetize me for that reason so he had to take down all of my videos Aww. and then I, I had to apply, I had to apply three or four times, I think before that I finally got accepted for monetization. It, it, it's a, it's a process. What if like a musical artist had a collaboration and yeah. you know, each other wanted to share the same video, but they would want their own channel to be the destination. I mean, I don't oh, know. Oh, good luck. Yeah. That's kind of I silly. Have, I have one of my albums on a, on another label uh, and we'll just, say that much and, and leave it at that and i can't even use my own music on my podcast because they have some service that you know hunts right. and finds music for stuff and even though it's 100 percent mine i like i made it i wrote the songs 
you know, it's it's hundred percent me. I can't use it on my own podcast because it's on somebody else's label. You can't use your own. So on yeah, the because, YouTube, because I don't listen to the YouTube version of your shows. I listen to iTunes. Mm-hmm. So on there, you don't even put like Stone Breath doesn't just, even go on there. No, no, the, the YouTube. I, I just choose songs that aren't from that particular album. Oh, okay, I got you. It's, it's it's a side project I did um, with someone else, and I just don't ever use the songs on the podcast because as soon as I do, it's demonetized because they see you know this is a copyright. You know, this it's actually comes through some kind of weird music distributor through that label. It's a real pain. And I talked to the label. I was like, you need to stop this because I don't want it. And they're just like, well, we can't. So, it, <laughs> you know, one day when I make my first billion, my lawyers will, will reclaim that album for me. It, it, it really sounds like, Tim, that you're uh, a lot of things you're doing with this podcast and the YouTube channel. You're just dealing with like setting, like putting out these fires like constantly. <laughs> Red tape. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot yeah. of it is. It's, it's uh you know, and it's all in the, it's all in the effort of either trying to save a buck in the case. That's what I was doing with, uh, sure. with Podbean, you know, and had, had to dance real quick and find somebody to help me or, uh, or try to trying to monetize it really. Um, you know, I, I work more than a full-time job whenever, you know, on this podcast every week and I'm, I'm making less than minimum wage at this point. So I, uh, I am a little thirsty for monetization at this point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also, though, at the same time, let's 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 say this. I mean, we do a podcast too. You do one. I mean, there is a certain reward that you get from reaching people. Oh, I and wouldn't you do it. Never if I didn't know love who it. you're going to reach. I absolutely. I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. Right. I, absolutely. Right. You know, and, and I do love doing it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. I you know, I could have a million creative projects I could do. Uh, but so there's, I just wouldn't do it at all if I didn't like doing it. I absolutely love doing it. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'm headed in the right direction. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's always two steps forward, one step back, you know? Well, it's a great way to share your, your music and art too. And, you know, that's a, you know, maybe you can, um, even if you can't find a way to optimally monetize the podcast, you know, you can find other ways outside the box and think that's what we're really working on now with, trying to do these conferences and stuff like yeah. this. And we've got some other ideas. Uh, trying oh, you're to absolutely right. Use the podcast as a loss leader. It, you're absolutely right. It, it has helped um, more people have been exposed to my music. I, um, I think my art uh, has really benefited. I, I do a lot more commissions and stuff like that now than I used to. So that's absolutely the case. Oh, really? Yeah, that's cool. Oh, yeah, far more. Like I, a lot, like. A lot, lot more commissions and art and stuff I do, yeah. Which, if you haven't seen Tim's art, you should definitely go check it out because it's really cool. Are you going to be? Yeah, you one can, day I'll have to get a dedicated some, art website going. If you want to set up some stuff on the table and sell some art, you can do that too at the conference, man. We'd, you know, love for you to do that and get any of your hustles on. Well, we'll see. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to uh, UPS my books down there and 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 so forth. So we're gonna, we'll see how much stuff I can pack in a box. Cool, cool. So, Tim, let's talk a little bit about what you are going to be talking about at the Strange Realities Conference. All right. <laughs> my health. I'm gonna, I, think, I think I'm going to just talk about my health. I'm just going to talk about my health. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't, isn't everyone interested? No. Uh, the, my personal speech is on the 1920 to roughly 22 
uh, Pennsylvania Gorilla Flap, which is a super interesting, I think, uh, set of articles that where you can follow uh, what they call these gorillas through the state of Pennsylvania as people see them in the middle of winter. They're not gorillas. Uh, the, you know, but that's the story. There's some kind of escaped circus gorilla that people keep seeing, but uh, not in the winter, not in Pennsylvania. So uh, pretty interesting. And it goes, you know, the, the, the gorillas move through. They start kind of in the middle, kind of the middle of the state, almost exactly in the middle of the state, maybe a little east. Uh, and then uh, they kind of move to the middle of the state and then down to the Gettysburg area. And then they, they end up in northern Maryland, which is really interesting. The last report I have is... Uh, is in Maryland. So they definitely seemed like they were, they were following a, some sort of path. That's a part that really fascinates me when you told me when I was actually there with you and James, that there were Bigfoot sightings in the Gettysburg area. Oh yeah. Still are. I mean, we, we still get them. Oh yeah. Not in town. Like the one I collected from the book is it walked right into town down the main street. But, uh, you get them around. That's there, in the sure. 1920s that that happened. Yeah. Yep. Wow. 1921, I think. Now, are these described? I don't want to go too much into it because we want to save it for the conference, obviously. But are these described as the more kind of Bigfoot or Sasquatch creatures, or are they more described as like wild men? In other words, like wearing clothing. At at this point, they're describing them as gorillas. So okay. just big, hairy gorillas. That's what they're describing them as. And uh, it you know it changes right around 1900. Right, people start seeing gorillas in zoos and seeing pictures of gorillas, and suddenly they stop calling them wild men mm-hmm. and they start calling them gorillas. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of what's going on here, I think. But you know, these are seven foot tall gorillas. The the tallest mountain gorilla is what six foot tall or something like that. Um, there's, you know, they're absolutely huge. They're staying, they're living through the winter in Pennsylvania. The, you know, mountain girls are obviously tropical creatures. It just couldn't happen. It's a very cold winter too. At some point, one of the articles, they said, oh, they had to be dead after that cold snap. There's no way, there's no possible way. And then somebody sees one after that, of course. So, so again, it's just, this is something that is in the popular consciousness and people start to. I guess equate what they're seeing with it are they're actually seeing it because maybe this phenomenon is throwing it back at it back at them. It's yeah, it's quite possible. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, a rather new concept I, I have like, and this is after writing the book that, that, that I pulled that from this uh, Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, my book after writing that I've sort of come up with this idea that, that the wild man archetype, has changed over time in the way that UFOs have, you know, they started out as kind of airships and, you know, blimps with weird lights on them and stuff. And, you know, they, they've changed over the years to, you know, you know, mid 20th century, they look like art nouveau spaceships, you know, or right. rather uh, art deco spaceships. And then, you know, they turn into the black triangles and now they're like jellyfish and weird plasma balls and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. It kind of changes, and I, I believe that it's slower, I think. The, the wild man archetype, it, it's changed slower, but uh, I do believe it's changed over time. We get uh, hairy men in the woods, you know, and carrying clubs and so forth that speak. And then uh, going up to, uh, you know, in the 1800s, you get some of these reports of these, you know, they, a lot of them sound like what could be mountain men, except they're completely covered in hair from head to toe. Yeah. 
yeah. they may or may not be wearing like one article of clothing or, or carrying a, in some cases they're carrying like a, a rusty musket that won't fire anymore or something like this. And then it keeps going into, you know, gets wilder and wilder until, you know, the, our modern Sasquatch is the wildest of wild men, I think. What's the oldest report that you have found? Uh, as far as like a newspaper report? Sure. There's some, I, there's one I found in the 1700s and I forget what state that was from. Okay. But uh, it, you know, late 1700s, I think. Um, but the earliest one I've published in any of my books, I think is 1820s or 1830s from uh, Pennsylvania. I'm curious about some of your research methods. Uh, in addition to probably some like online searching newspaper services, are you are you utilizing any local archives of municipalities? For Pennsylvania, or? I did. Yeah, for Pennsylvania, I, I went to historical societies and cool. You know, digging through microfilms and stuff like that. Um, I'm working on a, a completely separate project, and I'm in touch with a lot of historical societies all over the country. Were there you any places really... that weren't really expected where you found where you found things? Like, was there anything you could talk about that was like a a source that uh you know you wouldn't expect to find some of the stuff in? Um, I found some stuff in. Again, this is for for a separate project. This yeah. isn't specifically Bigfoot stuff, but for a separate project, I found some things in like those old magazines that they you know they would publish like you know two times a year or something in the 1800s that were just collections of articles and so forth. And I stumbled upon some stuff in there that I was like, wow, you know, what is this doing in here? Cool. Um, I'm trying to think. In, in fact, I found some, some stuff in there, some really great stuff in there for the, uh, the book Josh and I are working on where the footprints end, uh, regarding, uh, some, some, uh, Bigfoot and woman in white folklore. I found some like amazing stuff in there talking about, um, women in white in Austria and their connections to wild men. Cool. Well, yeah, that's really the way to go. I mean, online is great, but getting into the archives is really fun. Something I've been doing a lot this last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it can be really rewarding. I mean, some historical societies are certainly better and nicer and easier to work with than others. Um, there's, uh, this other book I'm working on. I've, I've had, I don't know. I've been in contact with historical societies all over the country for the most part. They're great. They're absolutely great. Um, you know, some some are a little more difficult to work with. Uh, unfortunately, the, my local York Historical Society, they are uh, not as helpful as uh, as some of these. You know, I, I don't know if it's the what's the line about the prophet in his own town or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's that syndrome that's going on where, you know, if I contact someone from Michigan, they're like, you're writing a book here. Let me, you know, get, help you all I can yeah. and give you every possible thing we can on this information. Where, you know, if I go to York Historical Society, like, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Anything from, from again, state yeah. archives at all? Uh, I'm sure there are, but, uh, you know, I, I'm limited. I, even with the Pennsylvania book, I can't go to every historical society in Pennsylvania. I wish I could, you know. At some point, though, you have to say, I got to publish this book, you know. Yeah, this book totally. Needs to come out. Oh, totally. Uh, and, I, you know, I'd love to go to all these places. Every place I write about, I would love to visit. You know, I did that for my very first book. Every every place I talk about in Beyond the Seventh Gate, I visited. I put my boots on the ground there, if possible. It wasn't private property. Sure. In some cases, even if it was. <laughs> but uh, but every place I talk about, I, I visited in that book because it was within a you know three county area here. But uh, the other places, I just I just couldn't do that. I wish I could. I would have if I could have. But it's just too much. 
let's talk a little bit about we went into this with Josh, but let's talk a little bit about your joint presentation that you guys are gonna do. We talked about it last time I was here too. I told you all about the Bigfoot and Women in White, which is my section of it. Uh, and like I said, Josh goes into uh, the how the phenomenon is like poltergeist activity. Um, you know, it's a, what, what, what do you want to know? I guess explore a little bit of this kind of this idea of the the woman in white, just a just a slight bit, because we did talk about this with Josh, but I want to get kind of your your thoughts on it just a little bit. Well, I mean, it, it's it, it's been this kind of gift that keeps on giving and continues to keep giving. I'll, I'll give you uh, some new information I got. Like, so these wild men all over the world, it, it's it's gotten to the point where someone tells me about a folkloric wild man, and I ask, okay, wh- you know, what's his wife look like? She's a woman in white, right? And it's not universally true, but it's true so often. I mean, there's the uh, Russian wild man that. The, there's uh you talk about the Al- the, now the, some of them are white creatures the alma you cut out a little bit there sorry I, well this is the the, a, the folkloric wild man from russia not not necessarily the the yeti or the alma but okay. they called him it, it was a spirit that protected the forest and i i believe it's called the lishi or the leishi and uh, his wife was a woman in white the there's something called the sansa sansa bansum i believe in apollonium and uh, the female was, and he was known to frequent witches, I believe, and and he was this hairy, what big hairy wild man, and and his counterpart is a woman in white. In uh, my favorite is uh, Frau Perkta, uh, in the Germanic countries, she was a woman in white, who uh, had a whole troop of wild men that followed her around, known as the Perkt or the Perkton, and also the souls of dead children, which she had lured away and killed. And they took the form of will the with lights. So you have this double phenomenon that's seen with Bigfoot, these, these orbs and, uh, and there's women in white associated with Perkta along with this, this group of wild men, the Perkton. Um, and, but very recently I was emailed, uh, by a Franciscan monk from Ireland. And he said, you must check out this bit of folklore called the apple tree man from England. Wow. So I looked up, and sure enough, the apple tree man, uh, he was the oldest, the soul of, he either, he either lived in or was the soul of the oldest tree in the orchard. And uh, he's another Christmas wild man, which is another part of the book, by the way. These these wild men are very, very much associated with the Christmas holidays. Okay. Um, but uh, the, the apple tree man, part of what he did was to keep thieves out of the orchard and he was aided in this by an old woman who wore white. So it's just, it's never right. So we have wow. England, you know, Germany and, you know, Russia. It's all over the place. I haven't found any from Asia yet, um, but we'll see. I'm, I'm sure they're, I'm you know, absolutely sure they're there at this point um, in the folklore somewhere. I'll find some kind of folkloric wild man with a woman in white there because it's just everywhere else. And of course, in America, we have all these Bigfoot reports either at the same places that have women in white ghost spirits also, or uh, even modern reports of people seeing, you know, women in white spirits of some sort. And then uh, in the same places where Bigfoot and sometimes even right around the same time. So this is going to be really cool because not only are you guys exploring the paranormal aspects of Bigfoot, but then you're also exploring this whole spectrum between Bigfoot and the wild men 
the new flannel man idea, all this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the flannel man comes into it a little bit. Um, there just isn't room to touch on yeah, yeah. that at, too much because we have so much folklore. I mean, I, you know, I believe at some point in the book, I just said, you know, for some kind of giant undiscovered gorilla, Bigfoot sure acts like a folkloric wild man mm-hmm. because uh, he just all these folkloric wild men have these similar traits going back in in time and it's you know even down to the glowing eyes which is you know animals just don't have glowing eyes there's no animal that has glowing eyes but in folklore there's all <laughs> right. kinds of creatures that have glowing eyes which, which you've seen you've seen these these lights I've seen, and stuff i've yeah. seen something i've seen something right uh, you know, I, i'm very careful i didn't see them in a silhouette of a creature i have talked to someone from texas who saw you know from talking to him personally and on my podcast it sounds like we saw the same lights and he saw them in the silhouette of a creature. I did not. I just saw these lights in the woods and they, they were very, very strange, but, uh, no, you know, no, no, no silhouette of a creature. I can hear some serious bass, by the way, right now, but it's, I'll just okay. feel, I'll filter it out. It's not okay. distracting at all. It's really quite wonderful. Um, oh, is it, is it okay? It's a little yeah, ambience. Little yeah. it's a nice little ambience, but, okay, um, I can turn, I can tell her to stop if you want. No, it's It's, it's okay. All right. Uh, one thing I wanted to uh, talk to you about since I've got you here, um, you on the last episode of Strange Familiars, which is probably not going to be the last episode by the time we post this, but a guy left you a voicemail message where yes. he talked about this cousin it like creature that he mm-hmm. saw cover mm-hmm. from from hair from head to foot with hair. Yeah. I brought the Jerome Clark book, uh, The Unexplained, about physical phenomenon that uh, both Josh and I kind of wore out back in the day. I brought that book up with Josh earlier in the show, and that was one of the descriptions in the article about hairy bipeds. Oh, really? Yes. If you if you If you have that book... There's actually a picture of this creature that is just covered from hair to toe that looks like Cousin It from the Adams Family. Wow. So, okay. You, first of all, you passed the test because I've been putting the voicemails at the end of the episode just to see if anyone would notice. Oh, I, I, I always listen. Trust me. <laughs> so you, you, you passed the test and you noticed. Uh, he, he will be coming on the show to tell the story in full. I, I you know Obviously, I called him back and talked to him. And, and uh, the full story gets you know, even more interesting. It's interesting enough. The voicemail he left was great. But uh, he's going to come on and, and tell the full story and talk to me. I just kind of left that there as a teaser. And I'm trying to get people to listen to the whole thing, obviously. Because, you know, what's he going to put at the end? Um, but, uh, that yeah, that's wild. I don't think – because I don't think personally I've ever run into that before. What's yeah. that book again? Okay. It's called, um, I believe, The Unexplained, which is just a book about physical phenomenon. Jerome Clark, I think it was – it was published in the early nineties. It's a book that I've, I read repeatedly over and over, probably one of the most influential books as far as like getting into all this weirdness that I'm into now. Josh also read it. Incidentally, we both like the, the, the front covers of these books are both gone, Hmm. but in the entry of it, it's a, it's a book that's built very much like an encyclopedia and in the entry of it, hairy bipeds, which 
is where Jerome Clark actually says that the further east you get, as you delve into the Bigfoot and Sasquatch lore, you delve into the Goblin universe. That's where mm-hmm. that comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a picture of one of the descriptions. I think it's a creature that was seen in Michigan that is covered in hair from head to foot that looks like Cousin It. And it's oh, wow. it, it, what he described, and I think he, he's in Texas, he described that exact same thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was, he, when I talked to him, he was still, you know, genuinely freaked out because he doesn't even know what name to put on it, you know? Right. Because he didn't see a head or anything. He, he just, he didn't know what it was. So the only thing you say was it was it was covered by uh, by air. It was it's neat. We'll get I'll get the full description from him. You know, and it'll be on an upcoming episode. Harry bipeds, by the way, would be an awesome band name. I just <laughs> I, I just really want to put that out there. <laughs> and you can start a fraternal organization called Wild Men of the World. <laughs> and then I heard Josh earlier today say Harry Hominids Worldwide. I thought that'd be a cool uh, joint rap out. What you guys could do. <laughs> we, we do have we did discuss long before we ever did a book together a uh, a tuba and banjo album yes yes that is what the world needs that would Which, be that I, would be incredible I've, I've always wanted to do that but uh what better place than josh, nashville and we'll make sure you get that banjo too by the way i know you requested I, it last i've time. asked josh like to, to do that before i ever realized like what a like top tier musician josh is i'm just a folk guy i'm not i'm not you know i am what i am i i i i'm the best at being me and that's about it that's that's the best i'll ever get and uh i i realized after asking him i was like oh man josh is like like super good he's like a super top tier musician i i didn't realize that so uh it would be uh an interesting combination <laughs> we're gonna make it happen i think that's gonna be a goal for the conference <laughs> yeah we'll see because we um, we have a lot of um, time at the end of the night that we're going to at least be able to contribute like about three to four hours. It's just music at the end of the night. So I haven't had a playable banjo in months because uh, I have real skin heads on my banjos and they both ripped over the winter. Um, and I have not been able to play banjo in months. My one's at a repair shop. A, a Strange Familiars listener very generously donated some money so I could get it repaired, which is awesome. But it's the only guy that puts real skin heads on banjos in the area is backed up for ages. He's a, he's a good luthier, but, uh, he, I'm just waiting. I, he's had my banjo for months and months and months. Well, so, I reckon we could find a banjo here in uh, Nashville. Well, I'll need some time to practice. Like I said, I haven't, I haven't even touched a banjo in, in, uh, in quite a while, but, uh, hopefully I'll have one back before then. Hopefully I can, I can get one and, and have something to practice on here. Do you need a real skin? Is that like imperative? No, okay. no. Uh, I mean, my preference is open back. Okay. Number one, yeah. um, not a Pete Seeger, not the extra long neck, the re- you know regular open back, and then uh, you know beyond that, I, I really prefer um, nylon strings. If you want me to get wild and and really go go crazy with the claw hammer, I kind of need nylon strings. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, okay. the, the steel strings will just chip my nails right right to pieces. Uh, but, uh, otherwise, you know, I can, I can, I can finger pick steel strings. Well, you know, Tim, when we met up there in Pennsylvania and we were talking about a lot of punk rock bands, I think we talked about the bad brains and a few others, Hey, you know, how did a punk rock guy get into like all this like folk stuff? 
<laughs> How did this start for you? Um, I've never asked you this before, so. So I, I used to do zines. I guess, you know, zines were like the podcast of the 80s, maybe. I don't know. Um, and I was really into like the most extreme music I could find, which, you know, went from like extreme, like hardcore and, and then into grindcore. And then, you know, like the extreme noise stuff started coming out. And I swear at some point in my 20s, my ears gave out. It was like they were done. And I started following around this uh, this local college had a early music group. And I just really loved the sound of their instruments. They had like, like crumb horn and lutes and, you know, all these early music instruments and uh, wood flute and stuff. And I would just follow them around and go to like every single show. There's not just because I loved it. I didn't know anything about the music. I just liked the sound of it. I liked the sound of those instruments. So um, not knowing where to buy a lute or to, you know, ever. I think I tried to play recorder, but it just never clicked for me. Uh, I just, well, I guess an acoustic guitar is the closest I'm going to get. So I started picking up an acoustic guitar and I kind of found folk music at the same time. as trying to find music that kind of sounded like that. I mean, there was Dead Can Dance back in the day. Mm -hmm. And like now when I listen to them, I just realize like, you know, I thought they were very medieval back then, but now when I listen to them, I'm like, oh man, it's all, it's all keyboards. It's it's like keyboards and loops and stuff. But, uh, at the time they sounded very kind of medievally to me. And that was kind of part of the sound I wanted. And, uh, I just knew, you know, this other folk music started popping up. And the the other weird thing that was happening is these experimental bands from the UK. Yeah. Like current 93. Post-industrial death in June. Yeah. Yeah, they all started picking up acoustic guitars. Totally. And there must have been something in the air because over on this side, the Swans did too. So yeah. the Swans started playing acoustically. Uh, they they did a, you know some beautiful acoustic work. And so that stuff was kind of influencing me. At the same time, I found, I think my older brother gave me a Leonard Cohen album, and I immediately just fell in love with Leonard Cohen and started finding stuff like Pentangle and, and finally ran into this band it was in a, there was a record store that had like mostly prog rock. And I was in there and I was just looking, they had this like little folk section and they had all this weird stuff from the sixties. And they, there was a, this album called the hangman's beautiful daughter by a band called the incredible string band. And I was like, that's coming home with me. Had a bunch of like people dressed real weird on the cover. They're all like hippies out and stuff. And I was like, just the name of it alone. So I bought it and I remember I played it and I was like, eh, I don't know about this. And then uh, I put it away. And then about a month later, I got it back out and played it again. And, and I was like, what didn't I hear the first time? Because this is amazing. And I uh, just fell in love with this kind of 60s folk revival stuff at that point. And uh, from there, I was I, you know, trying to teach myself guitar. I always wanted to be in punk bands. And they always said, you know, like the whole punk thing in the 80s was like, DIY, man, just pick up an instrument and do it. Three chords That's all and fine. the truth. <laughs> That's all fine and good. But you, it's more than that. It's pick up an instrument plug it in, find an amp, be able to afford an electric guitar and an amp, find people to play with, find a place where you can practice that, you know, at full volume. There's a lot more to it than just pick up a guitar and do it, except with an acoustic guitar. With an acoustic guitar, I could pick it up. Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols just, you know, stole everything because he was a a gangster, so. Yeah. (laughs) The Sex Pistols were a boy band. Yeah, totally. Yeah. (laughs) But in any case, it was just to me, it was just like, this is the way I can learn to make music that I don't need to buy an amp. I don't need to buy this and that. And, uh, 
you know, I, I had read somewhere that, that uh, John Renborn, the style of guitar he played, he's a guitarist from Pentangle, was finger style. I didn't know, I didn't know what that was. I just, he must use his fingers. So I taught myself this weird little finger style of my own ma- making that I pretty much still use today. Uh, it's, it's, it's my own kind of thing. It's, it happened to be very close to a kind of basic bluegrass banjo, mm-hmm. uh, fin- finger picking style. It's, I'm, I never got real deep into bluegrass, but the, the sort of beginner bluegrass banjo, I picked up very easily cause it's what I had been doing anyway with guitar and so forth. Well, I guess that, um, that is the essence of a lot of folk music and like, I guess a parallel of these other folk magic traditions and things like this is that they're a lot of uh, self-teaching and uh, mm-hmm. coming up with your own style that's kind of outside of... Oh, yeah. I mean, the you know, the Scruggs picking, which is, you know, what bluegrass picking is, yeah. I, oh, yeah. that Scruggs came up with that. Mm-hmm. Like, he did it. He came up with that. And that, that became the way everybody did it, you know, after after him. But he just sort of invented it because I don't know if he couldn't do claw hammer or didn't want to learn or was trying to, you know, learn some other style. But, uh, you know, he just came up with this kind of three finger picking style with these uh, changing roles. And, uh, you know, it certainly worked. Uh, but uh, that, you know, that's not that's not the most traditional way to play banjo. You know, yeah. I, I did. Lear- I did learn a very traditional banjo in a very uh, style, in a very traditional way. I, I found somebody who played that way and sat, basically sat at his knee and watched him play. He, he, uh, I say he showed me how to play cause he really, I mean, I love the guy to death, but he, he didn't like hold my hand and teach me. He never slowed down once when he was showing me banjo, you know, it, it, he just, I just saw what he did and, you know, tried to do it and eventually kind of got my own version of, of Clawhammer banjo but i did you know i feel like i learned it in a very kind of traditional way from from you know person to person and uh, that's why i rebel against this neo-folk tag i feel like i really earned the right to be called folk music just 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 call me folk music i don't want to be neo anything that's cool hey man and i don't know about the other guys but uh we really might want to do the country music hall of fame uh with you i think you get a lot out of that they've they've got a whole lot of roots music stuff yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll be here. So, I like me some Doc Boggs and and the uh, Carter family and. Yeah, you'll get to see all the you know actual guitars. I get all the Fender prototypes. A lot of history. It's really cool. And uh, and uh, you can even get into the archives if you need to. So it should should be pretty pretty rad, man. So oh, that's cool. Timothy Renner, where are you going to be on October nineteenth? Um, recouping after my first flight since before nine eleven. <laughs> it's not too bad. In Nashville, Tennessee, at the Strange Realities Conference. Yes, yes. We we are really looking forward to having you here. It's going to be. An- I'm looking forward to do it. I'm I am going to man up and take this flight. Yes, man. Absolutely. I mean, you were going, you were not going to regret it. It is going to be really fun. You're going to, you're going to enjoy Nashville. We'll get you that banjo. We, we are definitely a Mecca here in this city. So you're, you're going to enjoy it. And, uh, so Tim, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me back. 
don't and don't keep me waiting so long you have to you know keep me have me back on. <laughs> yeah 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 so um you are going to be here with us on october 19th 2019 at the strange realities conference and where can everyone find you strangefamiliars.com is the easiest place and cool. my books are all on amazon just look up timothy renner got four books out now and more coming soon with josh absolutely that book is going to be a game changer all right guys that is it we want to thank uh you tim and tim banal and joshua cutchen and we are going to be back to close out this show on good spirit normal back we're going to close out the show this was um an interesting one because this was pretty much done on the fly today yeah so we're pretty um, happy with the result i think it'd be pretty cool yeah we were gonna have stephanie quick on to talk about sex magic i rescheduled that for a few weeks from now i think about three weeks because we've already got the next two shows booked but uh, she had some uh, health issues she had to cancel on. So I was, uh, we took the opportunity, I think, to go ahead and do this episode that is just about our conference. And we had three of the main guys that are going to be speaking there. And we've actually got four more speakers. And that's Guy Malone, Joe Damari, Mark Anthony Wyatt. Zach Hunt, and my hope is to have at least three or maybe all four of those guys on at at, one, at uh, some time. We're going to do another episode like this. We'll do a part two. Yeah, to further advertise this conference that we're doing. And guys, I do have an announcement about the conference. By the time that this episode is out, this will already be on the event page and will already be up on the website. But we do have a hotel that we are going to push people towards. And I got a special rate. I did all that today as we're recording this on the September 3rd. This is going to be the Country Inn and Suites, Nashville Airport East. It's about one exit up from the actual Nashville Airport. The address is 3423 Percy Priest Drive, Nashville, Tennessee, 37214. And guys, for the nights of through October 19th, which is the day of the conference, all the way to departing on that Monday. So if you guys want to stay an extra day, there is a $125 fee that to get into for the hotel. $125 a night. Yeah, one twenty five a night. Pretty good deal for Nashville. Yeah, that's that's a really good deal, especially Nashville in October where there's a lot of stuff going on. And it is a little further away from the conference site at SAR Nashville. Um, it's about 10 miles away. It's just past the airport. But uh, it's a really good hotel. It's really nice. And there's a nice little lobby down there, guys, with coffee. And they have breakfast in the morning. So I'm really going to push everybody to try to go there. You to fill I, up these rooms. I have a space of about 15 rooms that uh, they have slotted for us for that day, for those couple of days. And you think that's probably just like a, a $20 Uber ride? I would say so. 
Not much um, more. I don't think it would be much more than that. If you want to do Uber or if you want to drive to the conference, it's not really that far away. Absolutely. Um, and anything inside of really Nashville downtown area, um, this would be the best place to stay really anyway, I think, because anything closer to downtown Nashville is going to be super expensive unless you get a Airbnb. So really guys, we're going to push you guys to the country Inn and suites at 3423 Percy Priest Drive. We'll have all that on the website as well. Just say when you do book for the room, you're going to need to book. Uh, tell them that you are going to attend the Strange Realities Conference and they will get you that special rate of $125 a night. And that, of course, there is plus tax on top of that as well. So that's not the final total. So that'll be actually on the website and I'll have posted this up by the time that um, this actually posts. So... Um, is there anything else that we want to say about the conference itself? Uh, no, not in particular. We're just working on the musical lineups. Uh, just the fact that, uh, what I really wanted to push is that more than just the amazing, uh, presentations that are going to be given, you know, this is going to be a real, real sense of community and it's going to be really fun. I know how it feels to be like the weird one at work or school or whatever, and you're in all this weird stuff, but this is a place where you can come and meet all these fellow travelers and, uh, you know, some of the, some of our favorite people, period. And they're all really accessible, and it's just going to be a really, really great time in a lot of community. Yeah, I, I second that. Um, we are going to be pushing this on every show from here on. Guys, um, you will be sick of hearing about it, but uh, we really want you guys to come out. And if you're in Nashville, please come out. Feel, please feel free. I please. Mean, you know, and we really want to stress, guys, please get your pre-orders in. Uh, we only have about 100 slots for this. Yeah. We want to we wanna try to fill the room, but we need, by the time that you guys come, that we know that how many people are, yeah. a rough idea of how many people are and going to And if you're coming there. from out of town, it's imperative that you get the pre-order so that right. there'll be right. a spot for you because we are limited. It's only 100 people. It's not a giant conference, but it's very uh, going to be very meaty. Yeah, one more thing about the hotel. Um, they have a limit... Uh, on the date, October 5th, which is about two weeks away from the conference, uh, that will pretty much be the last day that you guys will be able to get that special rate. So please, if you are coming, um, please call them before that day or on that day, and they will be happy to get you that rate. If you call after or you need to, just contact me, and I will try to um, um, be there and uh, negotiate with the, with them to try to get you that rate. So um if you have any questions, guys, conspiranormal at gmail.com, please um, throw those our way. Yeah. So, and like we said, there's a lot of great uh, Airbnbs around town if you guys want to network on the uh, social media platforms and meet each other and figure out what you want to do. That's that's awesome, too. All right, guys. So um, next time we have Ginny Ashford coming back. She has just uh, completed her third book in the Faceless Villain series. We're going to be talking about true crime, unsolved murder cases from the 1980s and the 1990s. And that's going to be on the next show. And we are going to be going on Where Do the Road Go soon to also advertise the conference and to talk about talk to Soraya about some general things as well. So, guys, we will be... Um, we're here. Give us a, drop us a line. 
tell us how much you love the show um patreon is still in effect we um, still have uh just one dollar to become a patreon by the time you hear this we would have had the extra heather lynn episode which was quite an interesting one and Serfiel can tell you where to find all that patreon.com slash conspiranormal for as little as a dollar you can start getting that bonus content and if you want to make a one-time donation you can do so at conspiranormal.com and don't forget guys you can leave us a five-star review an actual review on itunes that will help us uh, get up on the ratings as well and you guys can also subscribe to our youtube channel conspiranormal podcast and follow us on instagram and follow us on instagram too yeah we have an instagram uh, also under conspiranormal podcast so follow us on there too as well all right guys um i think we're going to close out the show uh, we'll be back next time. We're going to talk about some unsolved murders on Conspiranormal. StrangeRealitiesConference.com. the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies count on real-time product availability and fast delivery call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done